Hey everyone, welcome to Ask Shane Anything, and today's episode is the beginning of a new dawn. Beginning today, this Friday, you will get an episode of Ask Shane Anything every Friday. Now I know this breaks up the pattern a little bit. You guys are used to getting an episode of Pactor Factor on Thursday and Friday. What we're going to do is we're going to break those up. So you'll still get Pactor on Thursday. You'll get Ask Shane Anything on Friday. And then on Monday, you'll get another episode of Pactor Factor. Um, you guys have asked great questions. And you asked tons of them. So I have enough questions for, I don't know, the next couple months of episodes. But don't stop. Keep asking. That thread is going to stay open in our forums 24-7, 365. If a question pops in your mind, just head there and ask it. Eventually, I'll get to it, I promise. I also scan the questions uh, to see if some of them are topical or timely. And so if you ask something that's related to something that's just happened, I'll answer those first uh, before they're kind of irrelevant. So very happy to be doing this every Friday. Very happy to be able to send you guys into your weekends um, with something to listen to as you play games or whatever in this weekend. It's going to be a great weekend for playing games. You got Diablo 4 for those of you who got in on the early access, and you got Street Fighter 6. So if you're taking the time, 20 minutes or 25 minutes to watch or listen to Ask Chain anything when you have those two awesome games to play, I really appreciate it. Let's get to your questions. First up, we have a question from Derek D. 111. What's the best number in a series? In games, I feel it usually is the second entry, whereas in movies and music, it seems to be the first. Which is your favorite first? And what is your favorite second? They can be from any kind of media. Oh, Derek, you, you, that's a great question. Um, a really good question. It's got my mind kind of whirling. Just so you guys know, I don't really think about or research the answers to these questions. Now, I know you may be like, oh, Shane's not doing work. No, I like it better if I come off the cuff with this stuff. So I haven't researched a ton of stuff. This is just me with my life experiences answering your questions. So. Let's see, the first part of your question was, what's the best number in a series? I don't think there's any way to determine that across any type of media. Now, I would say generally not the first. And I know that kind of goes against what you were saying with some mediums and some things like that, but I don't think it is the first for most entertainment mediums. I think generally the second is almost always gonna be better. Now there are exceptions to that rule. Devil May Cry 2 was a terrible second game, but generally like, you think back to Halo 2 and Metal Gear Solid 2, and I know, like maybe that's another example actually where the second one wasn't as good as the first. Um, in games, I think honestly it might be the third entry that's always the best. Going back to Halo, to me Halo 3 is still the best Halo. And because games take so long and there's such a big commitment to the people working on them and it takes three or four years to build them and you'll start with the spec doc when you start building the game and then in three or four years, that could all change as far as popularity is concerned. It's a little harder to compare games to other mediums where you make an album, you're in the studio for a month or two and then the album is mixed and mastered and all that kind of stuff and then it goes out. Uh, it's a lot different for video games. So I generally think the third installment of video games is generally the best. Um, the first one, it's like, okay, we got the concept down. The second one, it seems like they end up re refining the concepts and the ideas that they had in the first game. It may be expanding a little. And then I feel like by the time they get to the third game, they know exactly what the franchise is. They know exactly what the fans want from the franchise. And they already have this working base of knowledge from making the first two games. So I think if I had to pick it would be the third game in a franchise. Generally, that's the best. Um, 
God of War, I think, up until that point. I think the third one was the best of the God of War franchise. I could go on and on and name others. Um, but I think if I had to choose, it's probably the third. But with games, it's really tough. It is really tough because sometimes I understand your perspective on the first because if you come up with a brand new idea, it's very refreshing. Think about Assassin's Creed. Um, playing the first Assassin's Creed now, I think for a lot of people... The game maybe didn't deliver exactly what they thought they were getting from the promotion. I think the second one actually kind of did. And then the third, again, at least in my opinion, is really kind of perfected things. Um, so I can understand where you might say the first because that's when you experienced a new idea. For example, the first 3D Mario, Super Mario 64, in my opinion, probably is still the best Mario, 3D Mario. Although, I don't know. Super Mario Galaxy 2 is sublime. I don't know. It's It's hard. It's hard to pin it down for games, especially. And I'm talking about other mediums. What are your other questions here? Um, which is your favorite first? My favorite first in all kinds of mediums. And here's what, one thing I will say. I would say first are most likely to be the best in music. Because and I, I think I've spoken about this before, but I've been in several bands throughout my life. I've also, I'm a DJ. So I've been a performer pretty much my entire life. And the one thing you learn if you're in a band is that it takes a really long time to make that first EP or that first album because you have to write all the songs and you have to get really good at playing the songs and then you have to be successful enough that it's worth spending the money to go into the studio and actually record the songs and have somebody in there to produce that the album and master the album. It's a long process. So it gives you a long period of time to work on that first album. So two first albums that come to mind immediately for me one is Joy Division, Unknown Pleasures, and the other is Interpol, Turn on the Bright Lights. Both cases, those bands had seven or eight years, well, in the case of Joy Division, not quite that long, but had several years to put together a repertoire of songs that would be on the first album. And a lot of times, that both those bands in particular played out like live a ton of times. They really learned their songs and got really good at them. And then they went into the studio and worked with a producer who managed to shape their sound into something different. In the, in the case of Joy Division with Unknown Pleasures, they were basically a punk band when they played live. But they got into the studio with a producer named Martin Hannett, and he's the one that turned Joy Division into Joy Division. Before that, they were just a punk band. He's the one who added the atmosphere and really could see what it was about the band that made them different and unique and brought it out in the recording. Same thing with Turn On The Bright Lights. Like, I wouldn't say Interpol was punk per se, but their live stuff was really raw. And then they worked in the studio with a great producer who managed to find like the ethereal tones and the moods and, and, and the, the different feelings that their songs evoked and managed to bring them out into the album. So I think the with music, you have the highest chance of having the first great album. The other thing I would say too about music is the second album with a, a music group is the big test. That's when you're like, okay, now you only have two years to make your second album. Are you really good or not? Do you have the ability to write another set of great songs in like a year and then produce them or not? So while the second one, it may not necessarily be the best, although there are a lot of second albums that are the best, uh, Beastie Boys' Paul's Boutique comes to mind. While they're not always the best, they are a determinant, generally, of where a musical artist is going to go. If they can't nail that second album, then they were just a flash in the pan, and they're probably going to be gone. So those are probably my two favorite firsts. But going back through games, again, Super Mario 64 is a really, really good first. It's really crazy to think 
that Nintendo and Miyamoto had nothing to work from, basically, and they created Super Mario 64. And then, I mean, if you go a step further and you look at what they did with Zelda Ocarina of Time, again, th that era of Nintendo and Miyamoto, just literally just geniuses just strutting their stuff there. So that's this is a great question, Derek. I really, really got to say again, this is a really, really good question. Um, so my favorite first, probably those two albums for video games, probably Super Mario 64. My favorite second... Probably Paul's Boutique from Beastie Boys. I hate to say it. that album is just amazing. Like it's because Beastie Boys, after their first album, Licensed to Ill and Fight for Your Right to Party, everybody thought that they were just these like frat boys, but they really weren't. Like they had come up in the New York hip hop scene and were legit. They had also started as a hardcore punk band and then transitioned into hip hop as they started hanging out with more people who were into the hip hop scene then. So they were not like dumb frat boys. That was all kind of an act and it worked. It made them a huge hit, a huge sensation. But then with Paul's Boutique, they actually made the record that they wanted to make. And it is, it'll never be made again either because the, there's so many samples, illegal samples on that album that now it would cost, I think I read one time, like $200 million or something to make Paul's Boutique today because the samples in there that, are, that weren't cleared back then are, would now have to be cleared. Um, so it's a product of the time as well. So my favorite second, definitely Beastie Boys, Paul's Boutique. If you have not listened to that album, go buy it right now. If you even like hip hop a little bit, um, I highly suggest it. So great question, Derek. Our next question comes from Mountain Lifter. You've mentioned many times that your surround sound audio system is great. Show us your TV and audio gaming setup. Could you also explain to a noob why a surround sound setup is better than a standard 2.1 setup or headphones? I understand the sound comes from all around you, but in your experience, is the audio really mastered to take advantage of that in games and movies? Also, how do you game with speakers at all without disturbing your wife? Okay, so based on the last question, you you guys have all figured out by now, I'm a big sound and audio guy. So no surprise that I would kind of go the extra mile to make sure that when I'm playing games, the audio is as good as possible. Now, I'm not a psycho. Like, I'm not the guy out there buying, like, the $15,000 receivers. I do think that there comes a point where even if you're an audiophile, you're spending copious amounts of money for just very minimal upgrades. So I tend to try to find the happy medium. I don't buy the bottom of the barrel stuff. I don't buy the very top of the line. I generally try to find the best receiver I can get for the money that I have. Um, my new receiver that I got not that long ago, a little over a year ago, is an Onkyo TX-NR6100. And when I got it, I had waited forever to get this receiver because receivers don't just send out audio anymore. They do so many other things. So this receiver has like, I don't know, eight or nine HDMI ports in the back. And what it does is it becomes like a router for video and audio. So you plug all your stuff into the back of it and then you use a remote to just switch between all the different inputs. And so if you're like me and you have, let's see, what do I got out there? I got a PlayStation 5, an Xbox Series X. I have a Switch. I have, yeah, oh, Steam Link. I have a Steam Link that goes into my receiver as well. So right now I'm using four ports on the back of my receiver, and there's still like three left over. But the thing about this particular Onkyo is that it was one of the first to have multiple HDMI 2.1 
ports in the back, meaning that you could plug in an HDMI 2.1 cable and you would get the full effects of it going through the receiver, meaning 4K, 60 frames per second, or 8K at 30 frames per second. There were receivers that had launched before that that were supposed to do that, but they all had a faulty chipset in them and it would not work. I bought a receiver and had to return it, and then I had to wait almost a year for them to figure out how to fix that problem, and finally they have. So again, I have the Onkyo TX-NR6100. It does all that. Now, it doesn't just do that. Once you send all the stuff into the receiver, that's where it really gets fun. Now, this receiver in particular has so many different listening modes. So on the remote, there are buttons. There's one for movies and TV, and there's one for music, and there's one for games. And you can just keep tapping that button and it will cycle through all the different codecs and sound options that you have. So if you wanna you know, just go Dolby Atmos, you can choose that. If you wanna do THX certified, you can do that. If you wanna do uh, Dolby DTX, it has literally like every audio codec you can think of. And you wanna choose those depending on the setup that you have. Now. You obviously just saw my setup. I have a good bit of room between me and the TV. Really good satellite speakers behind behind my uh, behind my head. Um, so to answer your question, why do I play games with a surround sound system? Because it just completely sucks you into the game. Um, and to answer your other question about are games really designed to take advantage of it? Yes, absolutely they are. Um, now I'll say this, sometimes with some games, I will have to cycle through the different sound modes, the different codecs to get something that works really well with some games. And I'll be honest with you, there are some games that aren't mixed all that well. Um, the Resident Evil 4 Remake for me was one where the spatial sound, the location sound was not that great. So there are games that do better, do a better job and there are games that do a worse job. And I think as a critic in 2023, you should be tuned into that. You should be figuring out whether these games are doing a good job with the different codecs and the different listening modes and all that kind of stuff. Dolby Atmos, for, for example, um, it will fool you, even if you don't have speakers like placed up high or placed down low, Dolby Atmos somehow, it's like witchcraft, will make sounds sound like they're above you or below you with the way that it works with the speakers that you have. Um, so the technology for audio is progressing just as quickly as the technology for video in video games. Um, so you're asking me, okay, well, that's great and all, but how do you play games with a wife and with neighbors? So I live in an apartment complex as well. Um, and the truth is that I just have a really good set of headphones. So at night, after the wife goes to bed or it gets too late, I just start using my Astro A50s. And it's a drop down. I can still play games. And the surround sound, it's supposed to be It's accurate. It's not. It's kind of close. It's definitely not the same thing as using like a real surround sound with the receiver and real speakers and a real subwoofer. And I will argue with some genres, it keeps you from playing as well. Now, like with shooters, it's like, as long as the headphones can tell you someone's coming from behind, that's generally good enough. But like in racing games, when I'm playing on my surround sound system, I can tell if another car's coming up from behind me and which side of me they're on. So if I'm trying to block them, I can follow the sound from left to right to keep my car in the way. So there are gameplay advantages to actually having a good surround sound system as well. So there's myriad reasons why I would recommend that people get a surround sound system. Now, one thing I would say too, is that when I got my Onkyo, I paid $500 for it. And this was right before, yeah, right at the beginning of COVID. That same receiver is now $800. I'll just be honest with you, I would not spend $800 on any receiver and definitely not on the one I have. So I'm glad that I got it before the price went up. Now, 
you can find good receivers that will give you that experience for the most part for around four or 500 bucks. And that's generally what I would recommend people spend on a receiver. By now, you may be able to find a receiver for four or 500 bucks that actually has the HDMI 2.1 ports in it as well, just like my Onkyo does. For example, the first one that I bought, which I think was a Denon, if I remember correctly, was like $399 or whatever. And it had all these ports. They just didn't work. And then when they fixed it and re-released it, they jacked up the price $200. So anyway, I, I do not recommend spending more than like $500 on a receiver. Generally at that price point, you're going to get performances good enough that you will not be able to tell the difference. If you have any other questions about any of this stuff, just put the questions down in the comments below and I'll answer them. Our next question comes from Commander Fett. I was wondering what your thoughts are on a recent quote-unquote controversy when Kotaku published spoilers that leaked for The Legend of Zelda Tears of the Kingdom. Do you think having access to a publisher is more important than being able to say that what you want about a game but at the risk of being blacklisted? Did something similar happen to you when you published the Cyberpunk 2077 audio? Okay, I'm going to fill in a little bit of the blanks here for those of you who may not know exactly what's going on. But basically what happened was Kotaku felt that it was newsworthy to run the spoilers that leaked for The Legend of Zelda Tears of the Kingdom. And that's kind of one of the dicey things in the games industry is that sometimes if you do the right thing journalistically, you can get blacklisted. Um, and that's what's happened to Kotaku. It, hap it happened to Giant Bomb with, I believe, Rockstar Games. I, they were critical of something Rockstar did and Rockstar just cut them off. Um, uh, we, personal example, um, when we reviewed... Um, a game for Rockstar. It was Max Payne 3. Uh, we gave it like an 8 point something, and they freaked out. I've, they, I've talked about this before, and I've seen anything. And they basically like tried to get me fired. <laughs> like They called our marketing department and said that there's a big marketing plan uh, that they had signed up for, that they were going to bail on, and they did. It cost game trailers and MTV like $400,000 in advertising and marketing revenue. Um, and my boss had a talk with me about that. I mean, he was just like, what do you want to do here? And I told him what I thought was right. And I said, look, man, if people can't trust our reviews, we have nothing. If we lose our ed editorial integrity, then we have nothing. And he was like, that's a lot of money, Shane. And I was like, I'm just telling you, man, like we can do this. We can make this 400K or whatever it is, but people aren't going to trust our opinion anymore when they play these games and realize that we're on the take. It's just a terrible idea. And he was like, okay. He's like, you're the editor in chief. I'll let you make the call. I did. Um, now, to be fair, Rockstar did not cut us off from coverage after that, although I wasn't there much longer after that either, so to be honest. Um, but Rockstar did not cut off game trailers from covering its games going forward after that. It just took all the money and ran. Is our editorial integrity more important than this money and, and this temporary traffic increase? But here's what I would say as I've been in this industry longer. I used to have a virtualistic or a virtuous look at this. I used to think, you know what? If... The audience sees that you're making sacrifices to maintain your editorial integrity, and basically you're making sacrifices for them to make sure they're getting the truth and getting getting accurate information, that they will reward you in some way. They will come back. They will keep consuming your content. They will do whatever they can to make sure that you survive. And what I've learned over time is that doesn't matter. They don't care. I think YouTube has shattered that illusion for me because you've got these people who are like me right now just sitting in a bedroom, there's nobody watching them, there's there's no editorial oversight, and most people trust those people just as much as they trust an IGN or a GameSpot. And in some cases, they'll say, I trust these people more because they don't work for anybody. It's like, no, that's really dumb. You shouldn't think that way. 
But anyway, what I'm getting at is there's very little reward in this industry for doing the right thing. Uh, you brought up uh, the Cyberpunk 2077 audio demo that I published at E3. Um, that We had no repercussions for that at all. I mean, I've talked about this already. Everybody was like calling for my head and like, oh, you're... Sith is going to be destroyed, it's going to go away, and no one's going to work with you. Nobody did that. Because I've worked in the industry for so long, these people know me. They know that you can't crack me. You're not going to be able to finagle some weird bullcrap if I'm the head of editorial. You have to play it straight. And that paid off, ultimately, because the PR person who was working with CD Projekt Red and CD Projekt Red knew me. And they're like, you know what, Shane? We know you. We've known you for years. We know you wouldn't do this on purpose to just get a cheap uh, traffic in influx. You wouldn't do it if you didn't think it was editorially prudent. So I talked to them. They're like, look, the bottom line is that content is our copyrighted content, and we can ask you to take it down. We don't want to be a bully, but maybe we can work together on this. And so I said to them, you know what? We've ran it already. It's out there. I'll take it down, no problem. And they're like, great, and we're fine. Their next games, we got review code just like we always did. It affected nothing. That doesn't always work that way. Sometimes publishers and developers do get pissed off and they do cut you off. Um, and so back to your question about Kotaku, because this is a very specific case. So is it newsworthy, the Zelda leaks? It absolutely is, because at this point, the game isn't out yet. And so conceivably, people are still trying to figure out whether they want to buy the game or not. Now, the information in those leaks, I wish in hindsight maybe I had actually read it because I saw the leaks and I avoided them on purpose because I was like, oh, I'm going to play the game anyway. I don't want to ruin it. But is it newsworthy? Absolutely. If there's anybody out there on the fence, they would have liked to have known that there were no dungeons in Tears of the Kingdom. If I were just a consumer and not a journalist and I was like figuring out whether I wanted to spend $70 on the new Zelda, I absolutely would want to know if there were real dungeons in the game. And then you have Nintendo the day before the game comes out lie in an interview and say, yes, there are traditional Zelda dungeons in this game. And there weren't. There aren't. So, yes, it was newsworthy. And yes, Kotaku was within its rights to run it. And here's the thing. Don't click on the story. They clearly labeled the story as like, there are spoilers in here. If you know already you're buying the new Zelda, don't read it. I didn't read it. I saw the leaks. I didn't read it. I wasn't spoiled for the game at all. So if you lacked the willpower to keep from clicking on that article, that's, that's on you. That's your fault. That's not Kotaku's fault. So I think Kotaku is well edited in its rights. I admire Kotaku for having the balls to do it because I guarantee you they're probably now cut off by Nintendo because they spoiled their game. And I don't even want to get into the whole spoiler culture. Some people out there are just insane about spoilers. Like, it's like, you can't do a podcast. Like, you, they're just, a, these people who don't want to, they're supposed to just say, I know this game's going to be great. I'm going to buy it anyway. I don't need to know anything about it. It's insane. So, yes, I think Kotaku did the right thing. They are a news blog. They are a news website for games. Um, I would hope that uh, gamesindustry.biz would do the same thing if they had information that they would run it. Um, I feel like sometimes our industry treats you guys like you're a bunch of five-year-olds. And they're like, oh, well, we got to protect them from themselves because if we publish this, they won't be able to help themselves and they'll click on it. Now, there is some truth to the idea that, you know, if you are on social media a lot, that sometimes you just stumble across spoilers. But that's not on Kotaku. That's on the people in social media who are posting the spoilers where you don't have the choice to click or not. And I guarantee you, Kotaku did not actually include the spoilers in its posts on social media. So I think Kotaku did the right thing. I give them a high five for maintaining their ed editorial integrity. I wish I saw more of it, but unfortunately, there's very little to zero reward for doing so. 
All right, our final question for today's episode comes from Kevin. How would you spend your time if you could no longer watch any kind of sports? Well, Kevin, I'm about to test that here in about a week and a half because the NHL and the NBA are about to wrap up their seasons. Both sports are in their finals right now. And once those sports go away, all that's left is baseball from like June, like July until like the end of August when the NFL starts again. And I actually enjoy it. I'll be honest with you. Um, I like unplugging every once in a while. Like I like to unplug from the internet every once in a while when I do get the chance to take a vacation. I like unplugging from sports every once in a while. And it just organically happens that every summer and very, very early fall, there are no sports that I care about. And I play more games. I go to see more movies. I spend more time with my wife. I'm more connected with my relatives. I'm more engaged with the lives of my nieces and nephews. I shift gears. And I start filling that time that I was spending watching sports with other stuff. That's good. It helps me reconnect with all the people in my life and makes them, and it reminds them that I love them and I care about them because I'm sure there are times like in November or right about now during E3 time where they're like, Shane doesn't even know that we exist. And they're right. Like during those crazy periods in the games industry, I'm pretty much just head down grinding and I don't talk to my friends all that much or I'm just, I just got to get it done. So, uh, I've already kind of solved the problem of what do I do when there are no sports. It doesn't really bother me. Like, I don't get sad or anything. It's kind of nice, honestly. Like, instead of spending that time watching the Penguins play for three hours on a Saturday, now hopefully I'll get my overweight ass on my bike and ride my bike if I can get over this freaking surgery I'm still trying to recover from, which is just really starting to test my patience at this point. But anyway, um... So yeah, um, sports do not rule my life. Games do not rule my life either. Um, I have so many other interests, so many other things that I'm into. I have so many awesome friends and relatives that I love very much. Uh, you guys, like, I reconnect with you guys a little bit more too on the site during these periods because I have more free time to actually be on the site instead of just working on it. So um, again, it just happens because hockey, and I'm not even a huge basketball fan, but when hockey ends and it's about to end here in another week, I really don't have a sport that I'm really into for the next several months. And I, it's good for me, and I think it's good for the people around me, and I think it's good for the people who I care about, just like you. All right, that's it for Ask Shane Anything. Again, thank you for taking time to watch this or listen to this um, with two awesome games to play this week with Diablo, or this weekend with Diablo 4 and Street Fighter 6. Thanks to everyone who's asking questions. Keep them coming again. Go to sifted.net. Up in the header, there's a link there that will be there at all times where you can click and go into our forums and ask me questions whenever you want. If something comes to your mind, just pop in there and ask. Um, we'll see you guys on Tuesday for Game Face. Hope you guys have a great weekend. We'll see you then.